Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Ben from Who Scored and Jonathan Wilson as ever as well. We're recording midway through Transfer Deadline Day, so 2pm on Transfer Deadline Day. So obviously the stuff that we may talk about that may change, but we'll do our best to keep it relevant and up to date. We're not going to start with transfers though, we're going to start with the FA Cup team of the round, Ben. A good round, some good games in there to be fair, and who's made the team? Yeah, it's a bit, bit of a shame that there was no real upsets, but you know, I was gutted that Wrexham went out. Uh, didn't go through, so to speak. John Egan scored that last minute equaliser. But anyway, FA Cup team of the round: uh, Anthony Patterson's in goal. So Jonathan, you like that? Uh, back four of Timothy Castagna, Lewis Dunk, Nathan Ake, and Roman Peral. Midfield three of Jack Harrison, Casemiro, and Alex Scott. Fairly attacking, so Casemiro has a lot of work to do there. And up front, we've got Gavin Houlihan, Patrick Bamford, and Sun Hyung Min. A lot of work for Casemiro today. He does it all, defending, goal scorer now as well at the double in the FA Cup. I did just want to touch on Sunderland a little bit before we before we got into our normal podcast, Jonathan. I saw the highlights against Fulham, and I was very impressed with what I saw. Yeah, they. I mean, they they've got a lot of very talented young players. I think they're a little bit lightweight. Um, so they've only scored one goal from a corner this season. Every time they concede a corner on a set play, you, you fear for them. But they play some really pretty football. I sort of, I'm in that situation of not wanting them to go up. I mean, they're, they're what, eighth at the minute, but it's so tight in the in the championship that, yeah, anybody could get in the playoffs pretty much. But I think it would be too early if it went up. But uh, Ross Stewart getting injured against Fulham has probably scuppered any hopes anyway because... Uh, they've got Joe Galhart from from Leeds on loan, which I think is a good signing. But again, he's another twenty year old. Whereas Ross Stewart gave you a bit of experience as well as the you know, the finishing and the muscle. They're trying to get Ellis Sims back from Everton. They had him on loan earlier in the season, then Lampard took him back. Never played him. Um, so there's there's talks going on to try and get him back, and he he looked pretty good to be fair. He got he got injured, but before the injury, he was he was good. Um, but yeah, they 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 play some really nice football and and. Um, I don't know if there's a strange sense of sort of lightness and abandon about them. There's just just sort of kids playing nice football, can't defend. But does it really matter if you sort of no won the test the championship? Defending. No one cares about defending. Diallo looked very good. I thought. I thought he looked. He's, very, he's very, excellent. Very well, the odd thing was against Fulham um, is his finishing looked off, and a couple of people who hadn't seen him before, you know, who regularly covered the Premier League, pointed that out. And actually, the game against Middlesbrough the previous Sunday, he'd missed. Although he scored the, the second goal, he missed a really good chance at nil nil. Um, and actually, I'd say his finishing has been one of the, the better things about him. You know, he he he. You look at his goal against Birmingham. Um, he just scores a type of goal that players at that level don't don't often score. So I don't know if he's just gone to a slight lull with that. But I, I, I mean, he's only still only twenty, and I, I yeah, think he's a, he's a, yeah, he's 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 the most skillful player in that side. One of the most skillful players in the championship, and he's he's clearly a level above that. But hopefully, nobody will notice another year or two until we can keep him on loan. Well, we won't get into it too much because obviously it's not what we're here to do. But I would say he looks a better prospect than Alanga to me. But Alanga is at Manchester United and Diallo's at Sunderland. But that's a tale for another day, maybe another podcast. It is, of course, the January transfer window. So signings are still being made. Enzo Fernandez, Jonathan's looking like the, the big one. If that goes through, is that a transformative signing for Chelsea's midfield? Because he, he does a little bit of everything. I think he's a really, really good player. Um, he clearly fits the modern Chelsea model of buying young players. I do worry that some on a on somebody that young. 
Um, and you're know, talking about 120 million euros, maybe more by the time the deal gets done, if it gets done. Yeah, the structure. But Costa still seems to be holding out for a bit more. Um, in a sense, there's, there's just sort of a sadness about it anyway that Benfica was so good in the group stage, you'd like to see them have a proper crack at the knockouts of a of the Champions League. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I just don't understand prices anymore. I, I, I have no idea what they mean. It seems like a ridiculous sum for for somebody so inexperienced, but I think he is an exceptionally gifted, promising young player. Chelsea seems to be operating in a different transfer stratosphere to everyone else at the moment in terms of the prices. I fully expect him to sign a 27-year contract to, to be spread out amongst that. It's absolutely wild, some of the stuff that Chelsea are doing. Now, Ben, the transfer window, in particular the January transfer window last season, was very, very important because seven of the 10 best-rated signings across the entirety of the 21-22 season were made in January. Do you want to run us through that list? Yep, so in 10th was uh, Philip Coutinho. Obviously, he's fallen a bit by the wayside recently, but in the second half of last season, he was very good for Aston Villa. Uh, then he's got Bruno Gamarish in 9th, uh, Conor Gallagher in 8th, Cristiano Ronaldo in 7th, Jack Grealish in 6th. And the top five is all January signings. So you've got Dejan Kulisevsky and Rodrigo Bentoncourt. Both of them were absolutely vital for Tottenham as they pipped Arsenal to a top four finish. You've got Christian Eriksen in 3rd, Trippier in 2nd, and Luis Diaz in top spot. Yeah, Louis Diaz missing, obviously, a big miss for Liverpool at the moment. They've got other problems other than just him missing. I'm surprised that um, Gamarich was was so, so low down there. That's a, that's a surprise to me to see him in ninth. We won't talk to Jonathan about Ronaldo because I know that that will upset him. Jonathan, if you had to pick a January transfer signing so far, obviously they've not all been done yet, who would you say has made the best signing? Oh... Well, the player who's, who's already come in and played and looked at home immediately in a way that you, you might not necessarily have expected is Badia Shield at, um, at yeah. Chelsea. Um, it played two games, two clean sheets, uh, looked incredibly impressive. Um, I, I don't know. It's, see, I mean, all, all transfers are risks. Um, and so until people have been there for six months, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to say, which I know is an annoying thing to say on transfer deadline day. Um, you'd say that Arsenal have been pretty good at um, looking at where they need cover and bringing players in. Yeah. So uh, Trossard as an extra forward and then probably Jorginho, although that hasn't actually been confirmed yet. Um, I, I worry slightly Jorginho doesn't quite have the the dynamism of a modern Arsenal but he is an experienced player. He can play at the back of midfield and he won't lose the ball. So that's He'll get the ball to those players quickly, won't he? He'll get the ball. To... I know he can yeah. be a bit ponderous, but his passing is good. And I, I wonder if, if some of the Arsenal... Um, I've seen a lot of Arsenal fans seem pretty uh, unimpressed by that signing. I wonder if they're sort of remembering um, Willian and Czech and there's one other they've signed from Chelsea who hasn't worked out. Gallus. the third one. Is it Gallus or is it somebody post-Gallus? Um, David Luiz, um, who, who've all sort of, uh, yeah, Chelsea got rid of at the right time, shall we say? Although William obviously is now playing really well again. Um, but I, I wonder if there's sort of a sense of, you know, we sign players from Chelsea and they don't really, don't really do it for us. Um, but I, I, I can, yeah, for 12 million, just to bolster an area where you're short with an experienced Premier League player who, who has this, you know, the, the capacity to hold possession. If you're un- under pressure and one nil up, trying to run down the clock, 
that that can be key to a title race. So I I, I, I can sort of see the logic behind it. Uh, while yeah, you know, it is obviously a short term, shortish term thing because he's what 30, 31 now. Yeah, I mean he's a divisive player amongst the Chelsea fan base, but I think I think it, maybe a refresh will do him a, a little bit of good. At the end of the day, he's been part of a team that's won the European Championships. He's been part of a team that's won the Champions League. You know, he was very good in Italy as well when he was there. So, but I, I think he's one of those players though that that um, he's a bit like I don't know. He's he's an equivalent figure. Um, Paul Lambert, maybe, or, or Derek Ferguson going further back. Not expecting to hear Paul Lambert's name. I'd erase that from my memory as a manager. It's sort of, well, I meant in this Dortmund. No, I, playing know, players, I know. Sort of players who, um, if they've got good players around them, they just lubricate the movement between midfield. They just keep the ball moving. And so they, they add an extra 10 or 15% to each of those other players without necessarily looking spectacular themselves. But if they've got, you have to be playing in a good team for that to work. And I think what's happened with Jorginho this season is as things have gone wrong at Chelsea, you, his limitations have been exposed because he's not giving the ball simple to other players to do things and he can't really do those things himself. Yeah. He's coming into a good team. I guess I guess that will help if it goes through. He's coming into a team that are really riding the crest of a wave at the moment. Ben, I'll come to you as well. Who, who would you pick out as the January signing? Uh, I'd say it's hard to look beyond Trossard. Obviously, Arsenal could have been a bit Disappointed to have missed out on Mudrick. Um, but Trossard brings up Premier League experience. There's no sort of sell-on value in him. But, I mean, I have to remember he's 28 and he's 28 until he turns 29. Um, and I think he is just a really good signing to bolster that attack with the Premier League experience that he brings with them. Um, I mean, yeah, Arsenal strengthened really well. I think they, if they, if and when they get Jorginho, I think that would have been a really impressive window and one that probably Arsenal fans would have taken before the window open at the start of the at the start of the year. Yeah, executing areas where they're perhaps a little bit short and trying to make sure that they don't get caught short in the title race. I will give a reluctant shout out to Wolves. I think they've done decent business with the players that they've bought and they've backed the manager in, in the relegation kind of fight that they're in. A lot of teams have stood still or maybe gone backwards. I'm looking at Everton at the moment in terms of they've let a player go and they haven't really brought anyone in. I think Wolves have given the manager players that he's keen to work with and Sarabia. I don't know whether he'll, he'll suit the Premier League, but he's certainly a good footballer and, and an interesting signing for a relatively cheap fee. So I reluctantly shout out Wolves. Let's look then at the Premier League fixtures, and we're going to start with Chelsea against Fulham. Let's start by talking about Badia Shele, who we have talked about briefly at the front end of the show there. Jonathan, like you say, a good, a good signing, someone who's got, who's got a high ceiling, seems to have fitted in pretty well already, looks pretty astute, good at, good at what he does. But the way Chelsea are doing business, this, this approach they've taken, it's almost as if some signings that they made in, in the summer transfer window are already out of date. And because of this, Kula Bali feels a little bit out of date now in, the, in their uh, back line. Yeah, I mean, there's not a single one of those players they signed in the summer who's had a good start to the season. I, I, no. For Farner, you can say that's that's down to fitness. It's not really his fault. Um, but Sterling hasn't looked great. Koulibaly's looked really poor, I think, at times. Um, Aubameyang yeah, he's, looks past it. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's almost like they've written that money off already, which is an incredible thing to be to be saying. Um, I think it's Badia Shield. I don't think there's an acute on the E. Well, well, it's, but, it's done now. I've, I've, I've said it both ways, so hopefully yeah. it'll be edited in and make me look less stupid. <laughs> um, but I'm going to call him Badia Shield. If it is Badia Shield, right, we'll go, we'll go with you. Then, then I apologise. Um, good, good foreign football knowledge usually, so we'll, we'll go with that. 
Uh, so I mean, I, I assume that the long-term thinking is he and Fafana play together, um, uh, and I guess that makes sense. I just every single one of these signings, I just feel very anxious about because they're all so young, and I mean, I've just praised Sunderland for doing this, but it's a bit different doing it in the middle of a championship to doing it with a club that probably needs to be getting in the Champions League regularly to you know to keep the, the money ticking yeah. over, and they're still in the Champions League. Yeah, um, and, you know, and Dortmund is a is a is a winnable game. You know, it's a, it's a game that they they probably would. I mean, they must be favoured to go through that game. See, so Champions League quarter final. Uh, it may even be that's a the, the best chance of getting the Champions League next year is to is to win it this year. Um, but I mean, you know, something like Mudrick, eighty five million for a player who played thirty one leagues, made thirty one league starts, I think, or thirty two league starts in Ukraine. That's that's a lot of money for somebody who's not really that proven, and I just sort of fear too many of them together. Um, it could be very exciting, but yeah, there's a huge range of possibility there with without sort of experience to sort of temper things. Um, I just I, I I get the sort of business logic of you 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 do your spending now, you get the get the loss in the accounts book for now, and and get that out of the way. Um, and from yeah, from a, in a business sense, you wouldn't pay dividends this year, but you'd hope there's profits in the future you can pay dividends from. But in in normal businesses, you can be fairly confident that the value of an asset will will remain relatively stable. That you know maybe it dips, but you can you you, know, you can hedge. Whereas with with footballers, they can go up and down. You know, in in six months, as players come in and out of vogue. Players get injured. Players lose form. And especially young footballers, um, and you, you know, you look at—I don't know—something like like Deli Ali, the way he looked a world beater two years ago, three years ago, and now, you know, he's, he's nowhere near no the Premier wants, League. No one wants him. Now, I don't think that'll happen to a dozen sort of sub twenty-two-year-old players all at once, but it can happen. And if you've got no experience there. The danger of a sort of mass collapse of form and confidence is is that much greater. On the other hand, it could be incredibly exciting for them, but it's it's a it's a huge risk what they're doing because by amortizing all of this over six, seven, eight years, depending on the on the individual deal, you are storing up liability for the future, which restricts your ability to sign players in the future. Now, it may be that Chelsea think, well, we'll we'll get a new stadium planned and we'll we'll get all that through, and, and infrastructure spending is. You know, is a different part of FFP, so you've got a bit more freedom to do that. And within five or six years, we'll start to see the dividends from from that, and that can be offset against the liabilities you've already got. But that's it's it's, it's a big big risk when you could have players hanging around for six, seven, eight years who actually you just don't want anymore, and you can't offload because their wages are so high. And I know they've tried to sort of cover that by having them on a on a low basic wage with high bonuses, which which yeah absolutely makes sense. But it's 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 still a, a concern. Yeah, I almost think I could get more behind it if they hadn't have made a couple of the signings that they'd made in, in the summer. That makes it feel a little bit more scattergun for me with the money that they threw at threw at yeah, it. Yeah, which is if they, they tried they tried one approach in the summer, which was let this 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 German guy sign the players he wants. Oh, actually, we don't like him, so we'll just start again and quarter of a billion. Yeah, the the, the, the biggest window in history. You know, the, 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 the most money ever spent in a window by a single club, just, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. Write it off. Yeah. 
But on, on the subject of Mudrick, I, I watched his debut uh, the weekend against Liverpool. There's no doubt he, he looks a talent and he's he's, he's going to go on and be, and be a good player, I, I, I would think. But people getting a little bit excited by him running at James Milner, who I think might even be older than me. Yeah, I mean, you can appreciate um, people you know, jumping the gun on him a bit. But when I mean, you look at Chelsea and their left wing issues this season, they've had Pulisic, who hasn't done very well. Mount has flat to deceive when he's used there. He's not a left winger, so you know, you've got to keep him in the middle. And Mudrick just had this sort of excitement that Chelsea have been lacking that final third this season. I mean, Sterling's underwhelmed. That's his best position there, and they're spending a lot of money on him. Yeah, true. Um, yeah. But, you know, Mudrick's just, he just looked really exciting. And I think that's what Chelsea have been lacking this season. I mean, you look at the fact they scored 22 goals, which is fewer than Erling Haaland's. Um, they need that kind of spark in the final third and Mudrick provided that and yes it is early doors he's only played 35 minutes against Liverpool and as you say against a you know 400 year old James Milner but they it's just what he can bring that spark and that is why Chelsea fans have every right to be excited about him yeah a lot of Chelsea fans are saying they haven't had a player like that since Eden Hazard who obviously he's fallen by the wayside a little bit since he left Chelsea but he was electric to watch he was one of my favorite players to watch in the Premier League when he was there absolutely incredible so they're comparing it to they haven't had anyone like him who can carry the ball and they've now got this guy in who, the, who, they're, who they're pinning their hopes on. Good luck to him, as I say, a young boy. Hopefully it can come good for him. Let's talk a little bit about Fulham, Jonathan. At the start of the season, some pundits may have predicted them to be in the bottom three. I have a feeling I was one of them in the in the preview shows that, that we did. But you know, Marco Silva, I think, is a, a lot better manager than he's previously had credit for. You only have to look at Everton. You know, people Everton fans thought he was doing a bad job at Everton. We can safely say since that, that he wasn't doing a bad job at all. Fulham are riding high. They've obviously beat Chelsea recently as well. Why is it all looking so good for them? Uh, well, I think they've they've signed sensibly. They've they've got a good squad. They've got a manager who who has a team that that works. I mean, I, 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 any signing is a risk, but I still don't think it's that hard to have a decent transfer policy. You know. Look at what Brighton have done. Look at what Brentford have done. Look at what Fulham have done. And that's that's how you should do it. You should be very targeted in, in who you go after. You should work out what your style should be. And there should be you know, a synergy between the coaching appointments and the the, the, the player recruitment. And I think for too many teams, that's, that's not the case. Um, I get that when you move up the, the league and expectations are greater... It's it's that much harder to buy a player cheap and, and sort of bring them through and bed them in, um, but yeah, I think what's impressive about Fulham is a lot of those players had seemingly failed the Premier League level before. I so, say yeah, Mitrovic is the obvious example. Yeah. Um, something like Pereira who couldn't get a game at United, but is clearly a very good player. Even Leno uh, to an extent in goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and again, maybe that's just. The expectations aren't quite so great. He's not scrutinised for, for everything. Um, I mean, yeah, something like Tim Ream, who looked awful last time he was in the Premier League, but has has been very very solid this time around. So it's, I think we, you know, this is such a banal thing to say, but I think we do write players off very quickly on the basis of a bad six months. I agree. You, you put them in a in a structure that works for them in a confident environment where people are happy. Yeah, it's there's, there's a lot of players in the Premier League. A six or seven out of ten is their base level, and they look like a four. They look like an eight and a half because of the circumstances they're in, and the skill of management is to make your sevens look like an eight, and, and that's that's what Marcus Silva's doing at the minute. 
Um, the thing you'd, you, you'd, I mean, to say you'd worry is is far too strong because they've, they've done everything right so far. But where Fulham are still, say, behind a Brighton or something, is that Brighton seem to be very good at losing players and replacing them. Um, and it's not just the players they've sold, well, at least they get money for, but the fact they've lost some Wepu and I guess they get insurance money for that, but it's not the same as, sign, as selling Kukurea or Basuma or, or even Trossard. Um, and you, for Brighton to keep doing that, I think is incredibly impressive. Well, Fulham have got, I mean, Mitrovic is, what, 28, um, Polinia and, and Pereira both 27, I think. So they've got two or three more years before they need to start looking at replacing them. They probably have an age where they're not going to lose them to other Premier League clubs. The 27, 28 is probably a little bit too old for... For, for other clubs to come in for them. And, and yeah, I think with, with Mitrovic, particularly a sense of well, yeah, he's been tried before and it hasn't worked to leave him there. Polinia, maybe they could be vulnerable to, a, to to somebody coming in for him, but it's not like the 23, 24 and, and everybody's sort of circling them. Yeah, that's but, what Brighton have done, isn't it? They've, they've signed young players and they obviously they're the ideal age for players who are then, they've got Premier League experience as well for clubs to come in and take. Yeah, so it, it's... Yeah, Fulham will not be relegated this season, clearly. What are they on? 30, 31 points from 21 games. So, I mean, probably six more points, they're safe. It's not an issue. No, um, the question is, what happens next season? And then probably even more so, what happens the season after that, when when this squad starts to, to age a bit and maybe they start to, to lose a couple of players, can they can they replace them? But, I mean, that's for, for then. You know. Now, they should be very, very happy that they are where they are. They're playing the football they're playing and that... Um, yeah, they 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 have a chance of getting into Europe, and, and uh, you know if they can get past Sunderland, which is obviously very very difficult, they they could have a run in the FA Cup. I mean, I feel I need to. You may, may well be right here. I feel I need to challenge you on Mitrovic's age. He's been around forever. I was trying to get my phone to work. My phone wasn't working. My phone was about as active as Villa's transfer window today. But Mitrovic has got to be older than twenty seven, twenty eight. I think he's twenty eight. But let, let me let me, me check. Out my misery. He's he's twenty eight. Twenty-eight. I thought he was. I thought he must be. I thought he must be twenty-nine minimum. I thought that's only a year. Yeah, he was. He was very <laughs> young when he left Partizan. I think he was only. Yeah, just feels yeah. like he's been around forever, Mitrovic. Feels like he's had about seventeen cracks at the Premier League, and he's got it right this time. Good luck. Good luck to him. I, 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 I thought he was. I thought he was older than that. Fair, fair play to him. Well done, Mitrovic. Let's look at the combined eleven then, Ben. I'm interested by this one, Chelsea v Fulham, because again, you know, unthinkable at the start of the season that many Fulham players would get into this team. But I got a feeling. I'm going, to have, I'm going to have a gander. I'll have a guess. I reckon five Fulham players might, might get in. Close. Under, underestimated from those six. I don't know, six. Jonathan, how many Fulham have you um, got? I've got... Um, uh, hang on. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight. Eight Fulham? Go on the cottages. It must, it must well, because you always end up picking kind of units because... Units yeah, I like what it. works. I like it. I mean, I'll, let's get the who scored one because there were some disastrous terms last week for or the last time we did a podcast from, from who scored. Yeah. Have, have we done better mm. this week, Ben? Uh, I like to think so. Um, I've gone for league rating, so for that reason, Badia Shield does make it. So we've got Kepper and Goal, Tete, Silver, Badia Shield, and Robinson. If it wasn't, but if we did Premier League ratings with Kulabali, so I feel it was justified putting Badia Shield in there. Uh, I've cheated a bit and put. Put Mason Mount on the right with Jao Perlini and Andreas Pereira in the middle, and then William on the left. 
And then up front, I've got Mitrovic and Havertz. The reason for Mount on the right is he has made one appearance on the right this season. So I can play there. I think that's fine. He'll be yeah. fine. There's a few names that have surprised me there. Havertz being one of them doesn't feel to me like he's been particularly effective. Mitrovic was in, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it's Mitrovic and Havertz, wasn't there? Yeah. And I say that would yeah. have been an absolute disaster. We'd have definitely have had to cancel the podcast. <laughs> Jonathan, what have you gone with? Well, not dissimilar, actually. I, I kind of, you know, Leno or Kepa, I don't care either or. They're, they're, they're much and muchness. And then just because I don't think Thiago Silva can really play in a four, I've gone for the entire full and back four of Tete Diop. Oh, sorry, but I've got Badia Shield. Uh, so I haven't gone for the entire full and back four. I've gone <laughs> for Tete Diop, Badia Shield, and Robinson. Uh, William on the left, because I think his link up with Robinson is so good. Um, then Polinia Pereira, and I've gone for Jorginho in the middle. Obviously, he may no longer be a Chelsea player by the time this game happens. Um, Mount on the right, and Mitrovic up front. Okay. But I mean, I think there's an argument for Harrison Reid over Jorginho, even just because his, his link up with Polinia has been so good. Let's go for predictions then. It does feel like Chelsea have slightly turned a corner, but it's going to be interesting to see how they integrate the players for this one. Jonathan, I'll come to you first. What have you gone for? Uh, I've gone for Chelsea to win 1-0, but with no huge confidence. Yeah, I'm going to go for 1-1. Ben? I'm going to go 1-1 as well. I think Fulham can get a point. Okay, interesting. Jonathan, I'm presuming he's ahead in the league. Maybe we'll come on to that later, but that would help him if Chelsea do win. We're going to look now at Everton against Arsenal. Now, Sean Dyche has been appointed as Everton manager. They've literally been through pretty much every manager I can think of. So, naturally, it landed on Sean Dyche. But one thing I'm a little bit confused about, Jonathan, is it's not Bielsa was the front runner for, for a long time. He's obviously had the interview. Now, Bielsa and Sean Dyche are absolutely nothing alike. Yeah, I mean, that, which tells you everything about the long-term planning or, or lack of it at Everton. I, I sort of see how they've got themselves in this position. Um, in it, they, they obviously hoped Lampard could see them through to the end of the season. And then as results have got worse and worse, I mean, one win in 13. Yeah, um, they had to do something uh, just, 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 to, just to stop the rot. And then you, you think, well, we'd like Bielsa long-term, but Bielsa doesn't want to take over in January. And, and I think actually... Him taking over in January would be disastrous just because players wouldn't be able to to adapt Agreed. quickly enough. <laughs> it's like strange. Oh, I'll do the under twenty ones. Let somebody else get them relegated. I wish, they'd let him do, I wish they'd let him do it. Honestly, I, I wish have, they'd let him do it. I mean, that would have been hilarious. I mean, I, I, I saw uh, Javier Mascherano has just been sacked as Argentina under twenty coach uh, after an absolutely catastrophic and hilariously bad reign. Um, I think they should have given him the job to end of the season, just accepted relegation, but done it in the funniest way possible, and then let Bielsa take over. Um, and then I guess you, you, you're left with, yeah. Well, once you decide you can't go for this weird Bielsa plan, who's available? Who might keep us up? Dice is available. I guess you give him a go, and and, and you reassess in the summer. And, and you know, maybe you know, Dice has always claimed that he he was forced to play the sort of football he played at Burnley because of financial restrictions and I mean what company's done since like it gives a light to that but yeah, let, let's see what happens when he is at uh, an ostensibly bigger club with you know a, a, apparently a better squad and it may be that, that he's a very good fit but I think you know the the problem you see with Everton and, and you know manager after manager after manager has been undermined by this is they never identify talent on the way up so do you know who the, the last manager they appointed, last permanent manager they appointed who didn't have prior, prior Premier League experience was? 
Um, I'd like to answer that question. Yeah. Didn't have Premier, didn't have Premier <laughs> League experience. Ben, have yeah. you got anything? No, I'm completely stumped. It's oh, David Moyes. Oh, of course it's Moisey. So oh, yeah. they, they just go mm. to people who, who've uh, yeah, already been in the Premier League. People who, you know, they've, and to an extent, okay, it's a safe option, but they're not identifying young talent. You look at players, if in the last five years, they've, if it's not even the last five years, last four and a half years, um, they've signed 25 players who you would say were either at or beyond the peak of their value. And I, and I mean purely in terms of age. I don't mean because they you know, played badly at Evans so their value dropped. But if you're doing that, of course you're in financial chaos because you're never getting sell-on fees. You're never, you know, you're never, you're never getting money from, um, from from buying players young and selling them when when they hit a peak. And and if you're not in the Champions League, that's a problem. So it's, it's, it's almost like there's been this failure to accept their status in the world that because they won the league twice in the 80s, because they're the fourth most successful team in English history, because. They were one of the, you know, one of the big five who broke away to found the Premier League. They've still got in their heads that, oh, we're a massive club. We have to act like massive clubs. We we need to sign ready-made players. We don't want to be a Brentford or a Brighton or a Fulham developing players and selling them on. That's that's beneath us. And so they just end up signing players who maybe have have lost their hunger, maybe starting to, you know, feel age, maybe are suffering an injury, maybe have failed elsewhere, and it's it's absolutely hammered their finances, and that's got them in the character mess they're in. Yeah, they really are in a mess as well. There's not one faction at Everton that's been run well, in my opinion. This is, I'm, you know, in some ways, I'm a little bit surprised, Ben, that, that Dyche has taken it. I mean, he's been treading on my toes over the last three months or so. He's been heavy on the podcast circuit, Sean Dyche, trying to justify himself, trying to make himself attractive to prospective employers. What do you make of the appointment? I think it's probably better to have gone for Dyche than Bielsa. Um yeah, he would have been, he would have been a huge risk at this stage of the season. You know, get Bale's the type of manager that needs at least one preseason to kind of get his ideas across to a set standard that will kind of translate to the good performances on the pitch. Um, Dyche is kind of more of a ready-made replacement for Lampard. He will keep them solid at the back, and hope. I mean, the hope now is that for him, Calvert Lewin can remain fit, get the ball out wide to Gray or McNeil, whip the ball in, and you know use him as sort of a battering, battering round striker to get the goals they need to stay up. Yeah, I mean, he's got three players that he's worked with before as well and under his under his ranks now. He's got he's got uh, Michael Keane, Tarkovsky and Dwight McNeil. You know, they need to get something out of Dwight McNeil because it costs a pretty, pretty heavy amount of money. Although, like Jonathan says, the amount of money they've spent, actually, is probably just a drop in the ocean what they've spent on Dwight McNeil. Arsenal... Obviously, going very, very well, Jonathan. That even with Jesus, you know, and Ketia's come in and, and stepped up. We've talked a little bit about their depth, but right now, who is their who is their key player? I know who I think it is. Who who is who would you say is Arsenal? If you had to pick one man out as the key at Arsenal, who can they not live without? Um, I think it comes down to two, but probably Party. Yeah, that was my answer. You, you, Odegaard maybe, but Smith Rowe coming back, you can probably just about cover for that. The Arita. The party, there's there's no obvious replacement. And even if they get Jorginho, it's a it's a same position or similar position, but it's a different type of player. Um so yeah. Um he's the one they really can't afford to lose. 
yeah, the stuff that Party does for defensive midfielder, he's he's good at pretty much everything. You know, his technique's good, his passing's good, he can tackle, he's physical, he's good good in the air. He's had a couple of pole drivers from range in, in recent games as well. To Thomas Party, he's just such a key player. He was good at Athleta as well as well. In fairness, that was a smart pickup from Arsenal when they did that. I don't remember them having much competition either. I've skipped over one thing that I didn't mean to skip over. That's Anthony Gordon leaving Everton bed. Kind of, I actually think that move is probably best for both parties at this stage. Completely agree. Um, I, you know, Gordon was obviously going to leave, and you can understand Everton's willingness to kind of ask for sixty odd million because that's what was the fees that were being battered around in the summer when Chelsea and Tottenham. That was, that was, that was Chelsea, though. Come on, come on, Everton. Uh, yeah, true. Um, it's it's a good move for Everton. They now have what the rest of the day at the time of recording to bring in some players if they can, even though they want to spend all of that on Conor Gallagher, even though they've actually got some pretty good depth in central midfield. Um, and for Newcastle as well, I think he's a good signing for Newcastle. I mean, yeah, he's 40, £40 million, pound, but he's a 21-year-old English winger who works hard off the ball, which is exactly what Eddie Howe wants from his wingers. Um, and admittedly, he hasn't been particularly prolific in front of goal in his Premier League career, but neither was Almiron. And now he has got nine this season, same as Marcus Rashford. Um so it's a, it's a good move for all involved. Um, and it's just now down to Everton to spend it wisely, though whether they do so or not remains to be seen. At worst, that's, an, that's another option off the, off the bench now for, for Everton, for Everton, for, uh, for Newcastle. I think, I think it, it's a good signing, but we're here to talk about Everton against Arsenal. Let's get some score predictions. And Ben, it's your turn to go first this time. What are you going to go for? So interestingly... Uh, last season, Everton were an eight-game winners run in the league until they played Arsenal at home and beat them 2-1. At the that moment, Lampard. Everton, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. It must have been, though, uh, 6th of December uh, 2021, no, they beat 2-1. No, that wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have been Lampard then uh, in January. Oh, it was My mind's so frazzled and Everton. True, I, yeah, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even remember then who was Everton manager before <laughs> Lampard. I couldn't even remember. No, neither could I. I don't think anyone does. I don't think Everton fans keep forgetting about Benitez, or at least hope to anyway. Um, so Ben's gone for Everton moment, to win then, so we'll move on to Jonathan. Well, <laughs> I was going to say as well, Everton are currently on an eight-game winners run in the league and play Arsenal at home. So Arsenal will probably win 1-0 though, let's be honest. That's what I was going to go for, 1-0 to Arsenal. But it will be a plucky display and they can maybe think that they've turned the corner a little bit, Everton. Jonathan? 2-0, Arsenal. 2-0 to Arsenal. Interestingly, we didn't bother with a combined 11 for Everton against Arsenal. Next is Nottingham Forest against Leeds. Interesting game, this one. Forest, they're higher up in the league than you expected them to be, Jonathan. Does Steve Cooper deserve credit? Oh, absolutely. I mean, given the start they had, um, yeah, they've been... So since since that draw they had away at Brighton uh, on the 18th of October, they've taken 16 points in 10 games, which is... Comfortably enough to stay up, so you sort of think if they hadn't had quite such a crazy summer signings-wise, yeah, they got that done a bit earlier, and, and Cooper managed to work out who all these people were who kept them turn up the training. Then, yeah, they they could almost have been safe by now, but they they've been so improved over that last um, three three and a half months. You sort of think that I mean they're not safe clearly, but. They're they're a lot closer to safety than than I thought they'd be. I thought they were in real Same. danger of getting cast adrift and you know, in the manner of of a derby or a Sunderland, uh, or Sheffield United, um, or a Villa, or a Villa. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the only two defeats in that ten games were were to Arsenal and, and United. So, 
Yeah, no shame in losing those games. And they probably, yeah, the game at home against Chelsea, they probably should have won. They're a bit unlucky not to win that. So, um, yeah, I think the, the the danger is that their January signings unbalance things, but maybe they have been a bit more targeted because they've been able to work out what, what they were lacking. Yeah, looking at Kailar Navas, which is one of the wilder signings that I've, I've ever heard. If he ends up going to Not- Nottingham Forest, that, that would be absolutely wild. I mean, every time I watch Forest, I do think, I will caveat this by saying, I do think they had to do business because the way they were promoted, they had so many loan players and older players who were coming towards the end of their contract and just weren't Premier League players. They did have to be busy, but they did go absolutely nuclear with it. But ben, it's busy and they're signing 25 yeah, players. Though. Yeah, they're, 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 nuclear, those are not the... Nuclear, absolutely nuclear. But every time I watch Forest, there's either a player I forgot existed that comes on or a player I didn't know existed playing it's really weird yeah uh, they I mean as Jonathan rightly pointed out Steve Cooper deserves immense credit the key thing is that they're making home advantage count I mean they beat Liverpool there they drew with Chelsea they beat Leicester at uh, the city ground and importantly they're kind of picking up points on the road now so that point at Bournemouth um, in the, in a weekend round of fixtures you're looking at it and you think well who really cares but you know they've come from dropping two points of relegation rival to gaining a point late on and that kind of, that that late resolve which they you know any reddit any new promoter team needs is there is there now it wasn't found it wasn't there at the beginning of the season cooper's sort of you know tinkered with his team tinkered with his tactics to try and get the best out of the 75 players on their books and he's you know got the system in place that all should in theory keep them up now and Jonathan, on to Leeds. I've been a big advocate of, of Leeds over the last month or so. The question here is, could Forrest get Jesse Marsh sacked? But I just think you watch them, and although they don't win very much, clearly the players are actually playing for him, which, which is rare when a team just doesn't win too many games. And still, the signings that they're making now are very based around the manager that's there. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be odd to sack a manager, unless you're Chelsea, it would be very odd to sack a manager as soon as a windows close i think once you've done your business you've got to give people at least three or four weeks to to make that work i mean i know they've only won two of the last 16 which is obviously a, a dismal record but they have taken nine points from the last eight games so it's it's not that bad a record um but yeah clearly he is he is close to the edge and if it gets to sort of the end of february you know mid-march and they're yeah, they're still struggling down the bottom. Then maybe they do make a change just to try and stay up. But I, I, I sort of, I think you're right. I think the players haven't lost faith. I think some fans have lost faith. Yeah, um, and I also, I mean, the problem with a team like Leeds is, uh, you know, as let's, you know, as journalists, let's be honest. We, I watch, I see them maybe half a dozen times live over the season. So it's, it, 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 one of those teams is quite hard to get a proper grasp on. So I, you, you find yourself turning to fans who go regularly. And a lot of them seem to have lost faith with Marsh. And that, that would concern me were I involved in Leeds. It's not sort of people who watch the highlights you know, and shout on social media. It's people who actually go regularly who, who've watched them. So, so that, that slightly troubles me. But, you know, the, the uh, cup replay against Cardiff, I mean, it's only Cardiff, but they're very impressive then. Obviously got the win in the fourth round of the cup as well. Um so, yeah, I, I like if they lose four nil, then obviously he's in trouble. But I, you know, I, I, I don't think they will, and and I, I, I would like to see him given more time. 
Yeah, first off, warmed the hearts if you were bracketing us all into journalists on the same level there. Absolutely warmed my heart, Jonathan, when you said <laughs> us as journalists. I'm not sure that was what you were doing, but I'm going to take it and pretend that that no, was what you The were problem doing. is, you know, we, we, we're meant to kind of know, you know, have opinions on everything in the Premier League. And the, the honest truth is that beyond the big six or seven, I don't see a lot of these teams very, very frequently. And you sort of, you, you have to make big, you, you, you find yourself making sweeping statements based on watching highlights, reading what other people say. And then watching, you know, maybe seeing them live, as in in the stadium, three or four times a season and watching them on telly three or four more times. And that's not really, it was clearly not 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 the same depth of knowledge as people who are season ticket holders and see them 19 times home over a season. I mean, I've actually watched their last four games, Leeds. I was at one of them because obviously they came, came to Villa Park. And I'm generally impressed by them. I thought they were very good against Villa and they were unlucky against, against Brentford as well. I felt like they ran that game, so... You know, fair play to them. I, I like Jesse Marshall. I like what he's trying to do, and I, I hope Leeds do stick by him. But it is easy for me to say because I've got nothing riding on whether Le- whether Leeds win or not. So I can understand why fans perhaps think differently. Let's get some predictions for this one then. Forest against Leeds, and I'll go first this time, and I'm going to go for a two-two. Jonathan, one-one, one-one. Ben, two-one to Forest. Two-one to Nottingham Forest. Right then, Tottenham against Manchester City. Looks like Pedro Porro is joining Spurs' ranks. Looks like they're going to go from four right wing backs to two right wing backs. Ben, it says here, Emerson Royale has been good for the last two Premier League games. I find that very <laughs> difficult to believe. Doherty is obviously looking like I he's mean, going to Atleti. So that you know, mm, Porro, Porro, and Royale. Mm, um, he has been good. Uh, you have to give him credit where it's due. He obviously was, you know, awful in the first half of the season. He dropped out for Doherty for a bit, and then he came against Man City. And yes, Tottenham did lose and capitulate to lose four two. And you take away his goal, and he still put in a solid performance from right wing back, which you know you sort of come to expect from a player who has, should be well experienced within that role now. But he was pretty good. Um, same against Fulham as well. I think a lot of Tottenham fans will say Harry Kane got the winning goal, and you know it was a great goal to move him level with uh, Jimmy Greaves to that goal record. But outside of him, um, Emerson Royal uh, was, you know, good. I don't think he'll keep his spot at right wing back going forward. I think he's not good enough attacking wise. He'd be good, probably probably be better as a right back rather than a right wing back. Um, fully expect Poro to come in if the deal gets done. Obviously, it was called off for a bit and then back on again. So we'll see. Um, I think Poro will be the much better option that Conte wants at from that right wing back um, but as I say credit where it's due Emerson Royal has been good the last two Premier League games Jonathan Porro and Dan Juma Dan Juma essentially seems like he's a replacement for Bergvine who, who's already moved on from, from Spurs is that enough one to propel Spurs to the, to the top four where they want to be this season two is it enough to appease Conte um, I mean they got the signings absolutely right last January uh, you know, which we referred yeah, to earlier, the Benton Kerr and Kulisevsky. Um, I, I think they desperately needed another another wing back. I'm, I'm not coming to say they don't need somebody else on the left as well. Um, but I mean, Emerson Royale's cross accuracy is 12.5%, which just, you know, is, is clearly nowhere near good enough if you want to play with attacking wing backs. Uh, Poros is 23.4%, so that's a, you know, almost double. So clearly he's he's much better. Um, I mean, I, I, I sort of think if if they can get Bentoncourt fit and then get Son back to something like the form he was in last season, that's almost more important than, than people they bring in. You know, 
the solution to everything isn't just to bring in more players. It's it's to yeah. to, to make it work. So I, I think there's nothing there at right wing back that, that was ever going to be good enough for, for Conte. And Dan Juma just it gives him that extra option on the left up front if, if Son's form doesn't improve. So um, to an extent, he replicates what Bergwijn was, was giving them. But, you know, in Bergwijn, I think he started four league games last season. So Conte clearly didn't, didn't fancy him. So fine, move move him on, bring in a, a different option. I, I think both of them make sense in terms of patching holes that are clearly there. Ben, Jao Cancela, Bayern Munich, unthinkable six months ago. Maybe unthinkable a month ago as well, actually. A, a day ago, Cancelo got going to Bayern. Man City kind of leaving themselves short at left back. I know Ako has been doing a good job there and Pep kind of changes how he plays things based on who he's playing at fullback. They've got Sergio Gomez, who they brought in the summer as well, who hasn't really featured. I get that there's been a falling out of some sort. Cancelo doesn't like it when, when he's not playing and Pep doesn't stand for that kind of thing. He doesn't stand for sulking and that's the appears that that's what's happening according to The Athletic. But they are short now at left back. Yeah, and I mean, it, on the face of it, you're getting rid of the left back who was in the Premier League team season on who scored for the 2020-21 season, 21-22 season and is currently the best rated left back in the division. So it, on the face of it, it is an absolutely bizarre decision by Man City to allow him to leave. But again, we're not privy to this sort of thing. There might have been a huge falling out and Guardiola is happy to let him go, especially if he's not sort of pulling in the same direction as the rest of the team. It does leave them short of left back. Um, Ake, as you said, has done well. Sergio Gomez hasn't been particularly uh, convincing when he has played, although you know he's only been here for six months, so you can't make an early judgment on how he's going to adjust to the rigors of Premier League football. But you know you're losing a top quality fullback who can play on the right or the left and has been incredibly convincing when he does get four two. Yeah, Johnson, what were your thoughts on it? I think it's a, a great deal for, for Bayern Munich because they've got no obligation to buy either if, if it doesn't go well. But but for City, I'm struggling to see what the upside is. I, I But I do get Pep's ethos. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the story we're told is that uh, you know he, he, he was, there was a falling out and he's since then, Cancelo's not been following tactical instructions and clearly for, for Guardiola, you know, you have to submit yourself absolutely to to his instructions, or the whole thing doesn't work. Uh, I think we've seen him fall out with players before, and, and they have come back. I mean, it happens with Bernardo Silva, for instance, that he was suddenly frozen out for a long time. We didn't really understand why, but he was able to come back. Um, so, I think if you're, you know, if you were Arsenal, you'd be looking at that thing and brilliant. Yeah, the City have lost Perfect. one of their most proven performers. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I, I guess from Guardiola's point of view, what, the, what, what this does is say to everybody else, nobody's indispensable. You do what I tell you or you go. And given the tone of some of his comments recently about players losing hunger, about a sort of apathy about the squad, maybe he felt that they needed the sacrifice for... To, to get everybody going again. Um, but it, it's a it's a big risk. Yeah, he had an interview the other day, Pep, and he named a couple of players and he called them by the name and then he called Cancelo Mr. Cancelo. <laughs> I, do, I do think that the, the rhyme was on the wall from that kind of point. And also, everyone involved deserves this because he took the, gave him the number seven shirt, which was absolutely ridiculous. So Manchester City and Cancelo, they, they both deserve this for, for, for letting that happen and giving him the number seven shirt. Jonathan, staying with you, 
recently I said that David Raya was in the top three Premier League goalkeepers, right? which I stand by, actually. I, sta- I stand by that. And I had a few people having a go at me because I didn't put Edison in there. But Edison's actually got the worst save success rate mm. in, in the Premier League. Is he that good? Well, it, these questions always... It depends what your term of reference is. If you're talking about, you know, what, what's his ceiling, you know, and you look at him over the last sort of four or five years, Edison is clearly one of the best best three, but certainly best five keepers in the Premier League. But his form this season has not been good, and he started making mistakes with his with his feet as well. Um, the, that's what he was bought for, his feet, really. Yeah, and, and you know, the the derby, um, I, I mean, it was a very windy day, which I think maybe wasn't obvious on TV, but his, his long-range passing in that game was really poor, particularly in the first half. Um, so yeah, he's he's out of sorts at the minute. But um, it's a problem with keepers, especially. You know, I think all players come in and out of form, and, and other other areas you can sort of protect them a bit. But a keeper gets exposed if he's not stopping shots. He looks an idiot, particularly when he's yeah, he's given the ball to the opposition. Uh, so it's it's a it's definitely your city seem to be in this sort of. And you know, the word slump is so. Um, overblown for the situation City are in, but City are not playing as well as they can do, not playing as well as they were before the World Cup. Um, and he's one of a number of little problems there. Yeah, let's do our predictions then. It's technically your turn to go first, Jonathan, but I'm not going to let you because you're doing so well. I'm just going to go first myself because I fancy it. I'm going to go top nil Manchester City two. Ben, Tottenham one, Man City two, and Jonathan the league league. Yeah, two one to City. 2-1 to City. Be interesting to see if Spurs have turned that corner, obviously winning a game. Fulham was a tough place to go. They got the result and they did give City a run for their money last time they played them, which feels like it was five minutes ago. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens in this one. We're going to finish as ever with the just a minute section. And Jonathan, you're going first. You've got Manchester United against Crystal Palace. And remember last time, a few cards had to be dished out for going over a minute. Not to you, Jonathan, although I did, do think you did go over a minute, actually. So you did get a yellow card. Ben got sent off in the last just a minute section. So, yeah, it is called just a minute for a reason. United v Palace. Uh, so, big news for United is losing Ericsson, who I think is a player that uh, is absolutely essential to the way they play. They don't have anybody else who can hold the ball, control the ball, pass the ball like that in midfield. Uh, puts even more pressure on Casemiro. Uh, he may have to sort of be that more creative figure alongside McTominay. Although McTominay, I think, is a doubt for this game as well with with illness. Um, so Fred, I guess, comes in. So that's a problem for them. They're fourth at the minute, 11 points off the top. I think the bigger issue is that they're three points clear of fifth and they do have a game in hand. So getting in the Champions League is is probably their target. Um, they'll be a bit frustrated with the last two league games uh, at Arsenal and, and then away at Palace. They let, um, let a draw and let a win slip. So they let three points go. Uh, in in the final minute of games, Palace only one win in nine in all competitions. They've only scored four goals in the last eight games, and they're only seven points above the relegation zone, which might be a slight concern for them. Um, they've got Anderson, MacArthur, Zaha, and Ferguson all out of doubtful, uh, and I think United will probably win this quite comfortably 2 0. Just over a minute there, 2 0 to Manchester mm. United. I'm going to go for 3 0 to Manchester United. Ben? 2 0 to United as well. 2-0 to United as well. Ben, you've got the honour of Aston Villa against Leicester, the Franz Car derby. Come on, Franz Car. Off you go. One minute starting now. <laughs> Aston Villa are unbeaten four ahead of Saturday's welcome of Leicester and they've actually picked up 16 points since Unai appointment in November. Only Arsenal collected more in that period with 19. 
They failed to win two of the last three at Villa Park and they weren't wholly convincing in their recent home win over Leeds. Jed Steyr, Luca Dean and Diego Carlos all miss out for Villa, but Emery is hopeful that Ludwig Augustinsson and John McGinn can recover to play some part here. Uh, they have added Alex Moreno and John Duran to the squad in January and the former should keep his place at left-back. Uh, a two-all draw with Brighton ends a four-game losing run for Leicester, but they remain winless in five and they now sit just a point above the relegation zone. The Foxes have won two of their last three league trips to Villa Park, but Brendan Rodgers without a number of players as he looks to get Leicester back to winning ways in the league. Saturday's trip does come too soon for Jamie Vardy, Ricardo Pereira and Bubakari Sumare, but Wilfred Didi and Ozzy Perez own with the chance. Either Johnny Evans, James Justin and Ryan Bertrand continue to miss out, and I think Aston Villa will win 2-1. I think it'll be 2-1 to Villa as well. Jonathan? 1-0 to Villa. What a shame it hasn't come too soon for James Madison back just in time for that one. And it may have passed you by, Ben. I mean, he's been massive news in the, in the January transfer window, but Ludwig Augustinsson's loan has been cancelled and he's gone to loan somewhere oh, else it? in Spain. I, I know oh, that's right. absolutely massive, massive news. I think he played about mm. 18 minutes for Villa in the Premier League this season. So, yeah, big moves. Uh, Jonathan, mm. right then, Brentford <laughs> against Southampton. I, I would never be able to name you a player that's played for both of those teams. Brentford v Southampton for you and your minute starts now. Uh, Southampton bottom of the table, but there are six teams in three points of them and their form has been better recently. So they'd lost six in a row, then they won at Everton. Uh, they've had wins in the Cups, um, although they lost to Newcastle in the in the first leg of a semi-final of a, of a League Cup. Then they had that loss at home to Villa, but even that, they, they could count themselves a bit unlucky. A couple of hard decisions went against them, pretty scruffy game. Um, Brentford uh, are eighth. They, they must be considering Europe at the minute. Um, unbeaten the last eight games, won for them, drawn for them. They've only conceded one goal in the last uh, last four. Uh, last season, uh, Southampton won 4-1 at St Mary's, but lost 3-0 uh, in, in, uh, in this fixture in, in uh, at the community stadium. Uh, Larios and Livermento out for Southampton. Uh, Baptiste, Onyek and Janssen out for Brentford. And I've got this down for a ninth game unbeaten in a row for Brentford as they win by a single goal 2-0. Well done. See what you did there. One nil. Are you saying, Ben? Three uh, one to Brentford. Three one to Brentford. I am going to go two nil to Brentford. Right, Ben. Brighton. I'll, I'll also say. Sorry, before we oh, get into that, there, you you overlooked Stephen Jenkins for the Brentford Southampton derby. Um, yeah. He, he didn't exactly. You know, Ludwig and Gustinson and Stephen Jenkins are the two big defenders. I've never even heard of Stephen. What's I've forgotten his name already. <laughs> Stephen Jenkinson or Stephen Jenkins was it? Stephen Jenkins. Yeah. Yeah. Never, never, never heard of him. No disrespect meant to him though. Jonathan, have you heard of him? No. No, no. no, that's good. That makes me feel a lot better about the situation. It's Brighton v Bournemouth next for you, Ben, and your minute starts now. Brighton head into their welcome of South Coast rivals Bournemouth with the wind in their sails. They booked their place next round the FA Cup with a 2-0 win over Liverpool to extend their unbeaten run in all competitions to five matches. That said, the Seagulls have won only two of their last six in the league at the Amex. Uh, Deserve is likely to be without Evan Ferguson after he was on the receiving end of a nasty Fabinho challenge at the weekend, while Adam Lallana, Levi Colwell and Jakob Murder are absent. Brighton are also adamant that Moises Saicedo won't leave before the end of the season, though at the time of recording he has been linked moves to Arsenal and Chelsea. A five-game winless run has seen Bournemouth drop into the relegation zone. However, they ended a four-game losing streak with a one-all draw with Nottingham Forest last time out. The Cherries do have the joint worst away record in the Premier League, picking up just five points from 10 games on their travels this season. Gary and will hope to welcome back no fewer than five players here with Dominic Solanke, Marcus Tavernier, Philip Billing, Junior Stanislas and Ryan Fredericks all doubts. David Brooks and Lewis Cook will hope to return 
to in mid to late February to boost Bournemouth survival bid. Bournemouth lost 2-0 in this fixture back in 20, December 2019, and I think a repeat is on, is on the cards, so Brighton to win 2-0. No idea if that was a minute. I completely forgot to, to, to carry carry on time in it. Jonathan? Also 2-0. Two 2-0. Nil. Two nil. I'm going to go 4-1 to Brighton. Bournemouth won't be able to contain them, I don't think. And it's for you, Jonathan, your last one. It's Wolves v Liverpool, the Pauline Starby. I feel like it's the Pauline Starby everywhere in some way, shape or form. Yeah, Wolves v Liverpool. So Wolves have taken seven points from five games under Lopetegui, uh, which has lifted them out of the bottom three, albeit only on goal difference. The two defeats have had in that run have been to the two Manchester clubs, so you know, absolutely no disgrace there. Uh, Liverpool had won four on the bounce uh, in the league, but then this year they've lost two and drawn one of the, of the three of the games, so without a win in the league so far this year. They're now ninth, 10 points off four, so if they are going to get into the Champions League again, they really need to to put a run together soon. Uh, besides, obviously, they, they they met in the third round of the FA Cup uh, when Wolves were pretty unlucky not to win at Anfield uh, with that goal controversially ruled out for offside by by the inability of VAR to, 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 to pick up a player. But then they were actually pretty convincingly beaten at Molyneux. Um, but at Liverpool then the next round losing to Brighton, I think the real worries there, such a bad-tempered game. Klopp, again, sort of just seemed to have... To have lost some of his love for it. So I think Liverpool win win this, but not convincingly 2 1. I'm going to go for a cagey 0 0 for this one. I'm going to throw a 0 0 in there. Ben? 1 uh, 0. 1 all. Right then, last one Newcastle against West Ham, the Paul Kitson derby. Off you go, Ben. Newcastle are in Carabao Cup action prior to their welcome of West Ham, and they'll be confident booking their place in the final since expense this week. In league duties, the Magpies aren't beaten 15. It's ahead into the weekend's action in third, level on points with fourth place Manchester United. Eddie Howe can expect to hand big money January arrival Anthony Gordon his league debut on Saturday evening, though whether he starts ahead of Joe Ellington or Miguel Almiron, injury permitting, remains to be seen. West Ham ended a seven-game winless run with a 2 0 win over Everton, ease pressure on David Moyes and lift the Hummers out of the drop zone. On Monday, they booked their place in the next round of the FA Cup to boost morale, but they'll need to get the better of the Magpies without January signing Danny Ings due to a knee problem. Kurt Zuma, Gianluca Scamacca and Maxwell Corne. We're also absent for the Hammers as they look to improve their way day fortunes. Like Bournemouth, West Ham have picked up just five points on the road this season, but didn't win this fixture last season, earning a full two victory, although that was prior to Eddie Howe's appointment. I think Newcastle will win this one 1-0, despite being slightly out of form of late. I'm going to go 2-1 to Newcastle, Jonathan. 1-0 to Newcastle. 1-0 to Newcastle as well. Can I just say, there's so many players have played for Newcastle and West Ham, and they all seem to be from the same era as well. Kieran Dyer, <laughs> Lee Bowyer, Solana, they all played for... For, for Newcastle and West Ham. Did Warren Barton play for West Ham? Have I imagined that? Not sure. Paul Goddard, he played for both. I don't know. I don't know who that is. It's a mid-80s striker. I think Shaka his lot. I think he played for England in a friendly away against Finland just before the 82 World Cup. Okay. I reckon you could do, do about three 11s of people that have played for Newcastle and West Ham. That seems to be an abnormal amount of players that have played for both. That does us then. I'll end on that note. I'm not sure why I decided to go into that at the end of a podcast. You might as well you tune in next week for more pearls of wisdom like that. Uh, subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on, and then you'll know exactly when our next episode is coming. Thanks to Jonathan and Ben for joining me today. Enjoy all the weekend's football, and as ever, please stay safe.